And uh, happy Friday, everyone. Welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. I'm your host, Luke Vitale, and alongside me is my co-host, Ben Schmidt. And joining us today in studio is Mizzou Club Hockey defenseman Sean Carrier. Fellas, how are we doing today? Doing fantastic. Excited to be back after uh, not being on the air last week. We've got some good stuff today. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, of course. Before we get rolling, first things first, some news on Mizzou sports. Mizzou men's basketball laid an egg in its final home game on Tuesday against the number 17th ranked team in the country, Tennessee Volunteers, 80-61. Despite the Tigers' strong start early, Missouri couldn't hold off the Volunteers' defensive pressure. The game capped off a stretch of four games in seven days for the Tigers, which the Tigers lost all of those contests. Missouri hits the road to battle LSU former uh, Xavier Pinson will be there. Game action is slated for 7.30 Central Time. Missouri women's basketball lost a pivotal game last night against the Kentucky Wildcats 78-63, in which that was their final game at the homestand and will face Florida on Sunday. Mizzou Bay, uh, baseball shined once again with their high-powered bats on Wednesday night as the Tigers routed Southern 19-8 to improve to 4-1 and on the season. Missouri closes its season opening road trip with a three-game series at Louisiana Monroe beginning today at 6 o'clock. And lastly, Mizzou softball fell to Maryland in the final game of the spring games, 1-0. The Tigers head to the Mary Nutter Invitational for a doubleheader today against Oregon at 2.30 and Texas Tech tonight at 7.30. All right, let's get going with Mizzou basketball here, Mizzou men's basketball to be specific here. Javon Pickett. Ben scored for the 12th time in his career, had the most points in his in his career with 16 points. However, midway through that first half, it was even at 17, but then it was a basket by Chandler on Tennessee, and that basically started a 13-run, uh, 13-0 run, excuse me, for Tennessee, but Mizzou couldn't catch up after that. So I'll ask you this question, pretty deep question. Do you think there's a coaching change coming to Mizzou? I think there has to be. Um, starting off with that game first, I know it was 17-17, but this this game was really never close. There were some defensive breakdowns early by Tennessee, some sloppy basketball, and then once Tennessee really found it, kind of locked in, they turned it on and never looked back. Kennedy Shannon was fantastic. He led Tennessee in points, rebounds, and assists on the night. So he, he really put up a dominating performance, and there were plenty of times where just his ball movement, his ability to get to the basket, was the Tigers just could not stop it, even though you knew it was coming. So that was one thing there. Uh, uh, really sloppy defense all around all night long from the Tigers. And then there was zero ability on offense to get the ball inside, penetrate the basket. Every possession, it seemed like we try to go to the basket, not there, kick it out, contested three. Sometimes there were good looks, especially early on. They got some good looks, but they were not connecting whatsoever. And that's what led to their scoring problems. Tennessee, when things weren't going right, they would get the ball inside, play physical basketball, and it would send them to the free throw line. Mizzou did a little bit of that late, but they were down 15 points. So at that at that point, like, what's the point? So it was it was ugly basketball. There seemed to be no plan in place. And, and over and over again, like I said, it was just we get, get across half court, Try to get to the basket. It's not working. Give up. Shoot a contested shot or a three. So um, to answer your question, I think one has to come because – and I praise Conzo Martin at certain points this year. I thought his game plan in the Auburn game was fantastic, um, the reason they almost won that game. But especially as of late on this losing streak, there is just no sense of direction. And there's, there's really not a whole lot to take away positively. In a season where it's kind of a lost season at this point, you know nothing's going to come out of it, you'd like to see some signs of life and confidence to take with you in the next season. And it's just kind of hard to find that right now. They're not really playing competitive basketball. They can't close games 
even when they do play close, as we've seen. I believe it was Mississippi State on Sunday where they couldn't close out. Um, so just in general, things aren't really going well. I would not be shocked if they lose the three final games to close out this season, two of them being on the road. And uh, um, it, it'll be an interesting offseason for sure. I think change has to happen because you can't run it back next season with the current uh, coach and player group you have right now. This is tough because Conzo Martin is a really good guy. Don't get me wrong. Um, Coaching-wise, not so much. But the problem with getting rid of Conzo Martin, I've told this to several people, is there a better alternative? I don't know. I really don't think there is a better alternative. Yes, Conzo Martin, is he's had a really bad season so far. I mean, you went into the season with a roster that you probably couldn't even name half the players on this roster besides Kobe Brown and Javon Pickett. Agreed, yeah. But... At the same time, there are plenty of games this season you look to Conzo Martin and say, what was that play? Especially the Auburn game. I mean, remember, they held Jabari Smith to five points, who is going to be drafted in the NBA draft. But against the Tennessee Volunteers, Kennedy Chandler scored 23 points. I mean, you got to be able to contain people like that. You just have to. I mean, between the sloppy defense and not being able to make baskets, I mean, it's going to be reflected back on the coach. Obviously, the players need to be making shots, obviously, and getting to the paint as opposed to shooting a thousand three pointers. But you got to be able to do something else because this team not only stinks, but decision making plays a big part in your personnel and what you're doing on the floor. I mean, there's plenty of games where Jordan Wilmore was out there and he shouldn't have been out there. I mean, come on. This dude is seven feet tall and he can't get a rebound. I mean, when you're seven feet tall, you should be able to get plenty of rebounds. Obviously, you got injuries to Anton Brookshire, which we don't know what he really is. He fluctuated throughout the entire lineup through the entire season. We get that. But I do really like Trayvon Brazil. He was a very good player this year. I mean, he missed a couple of games beginning of the season for I don't know what reasons, but... I thought he was a really good player. Definitely a bright spot if I had to take something out of this season. But it's a matter if he comes back next season. I think that's what it's going to come down to if he comes back next season. I think that's a good point. And also uh, your point about is there a better alternative to Conzo Martin. I like that just because if this offseason, if the if Missouri does decide to move on, I'd be interested to see just what candidates want to look at it and it's the state of the program and say, okay, I'm going to have to come in and do a lot of my own recruiting because there's not a lot here to work with. Mm -hmm. There are a couple players, if they stick around, like Brazil, like Kobe Brown, who could be returning, not really sure there. There's that, but if you look at the state of the roster as a whole, it's not a whole lot to get excited about. So you're going to do a lot of recruiting. And I'm going to be brutally honest, do you want to come to to Mizzou Arena where more often than not the stadium is two-thirds empty? If, yeah. if we're just being completely honest, I will give credit to the student section more often than not that shows out. But there are plenty of times when you look at the upper section and then the other half of the lower yeah. bowl and it's half empty. Exactly. So does, does that honestly something that gets you excited? I understand for a fan standpoint, you don't want to come to the game because the team isn't very good. I, I get that. But it's also if you look at it from the other way, what coach is really looking at that and says, yes, that's where. So we'll just see. It's going to be a very interesting offseason. Yeah. Do you have anything to add, Sean? No, just. Not not anything too much more than what you guys said, but just as a fan, you'd like to see the team win more games. And mm-hmm. so many times this season, we've been like right there, and we just can't get over the hump. And it's like, ugh. and I think that's that's part of it with so many new minutes this season, um, where like you said, is you're right there and can't get over the hump. And that's that takes experience, and you see that with these teams who are bringing back second and third year players. Mm-hmm. And Mizzou just does not really have the right now, at least not ones that have played together for for two or three seasons. So I think that's a big part. And just more often than not, they are out-talented on, on the court. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other problem I would say besides those close games is how many times they've been blown out this year. I mean, it's a, it's one thing to lose by a couple of points. It's another thing to absolutely get embarrassed. I mean, you saw against the Arkansas game, what did they lose by, like 20 points or something like that? The second time when they were at Mizzou Arena. And then Mississippi State, they got clobbered again at Mississippi State. I mean, yeah, they lost by two at home, granted that, but they're just not a good team. It's it's simple as that. And even like some of the big road games, not that we expected them to do anything at all at Kansas, but they got the doors blown off them there. They went to Kentucky and lost by 30 points or whatever it was. So really on the road, it's it's been a struggle. Yeah, let's switch gears here with the women's basketball team. They finished eleven and four at home in the regular season. That's the best home record since the 2018-2019 season. And Kentucky won their fifth game in a row with that. 
And the Tigers lost to Kentucky 78-63, a game which two huge contributors did not play, Asia Blackwell and Ladeja Williams, who were out due to team standards, according to Coach Robin Pinchton. So, Ben, I'll ask you here, uh, what has gone wrong for the women's basketball team? It's a really weird situation, especially if you look at Asia Blackwell specifically, because you had three games ago she was held out, didn't play, and then we find out after it's for disciplinary reasons. Then comes back on Sunday against Mississippi State, plays but doesn't start, and then is held out again last night. So it's just kind of a like it's weird that the, the player in between, and then obviously I have no clue what happened between Sunday and last night. Um, but it's just a really weird situation. I think what has gone wrong is the hopes got so high, especially after the upset win early on in the season, and then they just have really struggled in SEC play, and I think it's just compounded over and over again that it's just the morale is really low right now, and I think that's a really real issue. I mean, there's plenty of times where you see a team start to get hot, and they just carry that momentum, and then it's another time, with I think specifically with this Mizzou women's basketball team, where they got into their SEC schedule in January, and it kind of hit a little over a brick wall early, and then it just compounded itself over and over and kind of sent them into this downward spiral. Um, there are plenty of things that they do well, but it's also they are often careless with the basketball and have a lot of turnovers and kind of get to slow starts out of the gate. We talk about it every week where they're mm-hmm. down 10 points at halftime and have to try and claw themselves back out of it. I really liked the game they played against Mississippi State on Sunday. They had the lead pretty much from start to finish, and then when it came closing time, I can't remember exactly. It might have been Haley Frank who had a couple big threes to kind of seal the deal. But regardless, it's that was – that was the style they need to play. Get the lead early. They can play close games when they have the lead. They just can't be expected to claw out a 10 15 point deficit every night. So it's I, the game on Sunday was a nice one, but it's it was right back to the same thing last night. It's just a really weird situation with the players being held in and out of the lineup. You know, this team started 10 and 0 in their 17 and 11 right now. So that is a big concern and a big reason to sort of be concerned for this team. This team has plenty of talent. Don't get me wrong. It's not like they don't have talent because they do. Haley Frank is a great player, in my opinion, but she needs to take the next step in order for this team to be even better, in my opinion. She's a great player, but she has to take the next step. She needs to reach that next level to be one of the best players on this team, in my opinion. Asia Blackwell can only do so much, even if she was on the court. Last night, you scored seven points in the fourth quarter. I mean, you're not going to win many games when you get scored, outscored 21-7 to in a quarter. That's not going to work. In fact, Ben, last night, it was actually the opposite. In the first half, they actually played really good. The second half, they completely, absolutely just got trounced against Kentucky. It's I, 100%. I texted a couple of my friends about, especially what I saw, the, the news about the certain players being held out of the lineup. And I said, this is interesting. Regardless, they're still up really, really big early on. And then really didn't check on it because I was doing other stuff the rest of the night and then come back and find out they lost. And mm-hmm. I had the exact same thought you did. It was like, this is just opposite of the normal script. I will say this before I give it to Sean here. I got to admit, I'm very impressed with Jayla Kelly. She did a really good job last night, considering her first career start, 11 points. I mean, I got to admit, she played a really good game. And as a center, especially a game where size was going to determine some aspect of the game, in my opinion, because you got two you got two people in Kentucky. I forgot their names exactly. But they are very, they are very uh, physical. Edwards especially, 30 points. I don't understand how you allow that, but that's never that's no here or there. But I got to admit, she played a really good game. She was able to box out near the basket when it mattered the most. And honestly, I just think the second half, they sort of just got gassed out, and Kentucky took advantage of it. Yeah, I, honestly, like, you guys have been talking about, you know, the team finishing 17-11 and their struggles recently. But, then again, it's 17-11 and 11 compared to all the other Mizzou teams we've seen so far yeah. this year. Like, True. that's something we can be proud of as fans and as students. But um, you definitely like them to like to see them close out more games and, mm-hmm. you know, keep keep the early start of the season success rolling. But Yeah, no, I think you make a really good point because it does – I do not want to take away from some of the great things they have done this season. Um, obviously jumping out to that fast start and the upset win over South Carolina at home back in January, December, whenever that was. It's just, I just think the hopes got so high, and that's kind of what has caused some people to come crashing back down. But regardless, they, there's been – dramatic strides made this season I think is is still a lot to be proud of oh yeah absolutely I'm not saying there isn't but Haley Troop I really like her as a reserve player especially Izzy Izzy Higginbottom I think she's really good too but 
We'll see what goes on with this next game against Florida. Big game for them, number 15th ranked. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll head to commercial break. When we get back from commercial break, Mizzou Hockey Intro, who they play Oklahoma State tonight. We'll be right back with you in Around the Waves, KCOU 88.1 FM. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm gonna let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Hi, we are peers from the Sexual Health Advocacy Peer Educator Program, SHAPE, at Mizzou. We are stronger than ever this year. To refresh your memory, we provide a variety of services centered around sexual health education to faculty, students, and staff on Mizzou's campus as well as the Columbia area. We provide free barrier contraception methods across campus in residence halls, the Women's Center, and the Student Health Center. We provide sexual health educational programs to organizations on campus. We put on events throughout the year, such as Spectacular and Get Yourself Tested. Hey, this is Danny. This is Justin. And we're in Menomina, and you're listening to KCOU. Columbia. 88.1. And welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. I'm Luca Vitale, alongside me, Ben Schmidt, and joining us today, Sean Carrier, Mizzou hockey defenseman. All right, so let's get going here for a sort of a preview sort of aspect of the show, something we have not done all year for Mizzou hockey, starting the semester 4-0 and and about to take Oklahoma State tonight, a brand new program. So, Sean, I'm just going to give you the floor right here. Talk to me about this upcoming series. Yeah, so... Uh, here at Mizzou, we compete in the ACHA Division Three level, which um, it's it's club hockey, so you know the talent levels can vary a little bit. But um, Oklahoma State, from what we know, they they play in the ACHA D two division, so supposedly they're a little bit better. Um, we have played a couple D two teams throughout the year. Um, we played Maryville at the start of the year in St. Louis. We ended up losing both games. The second game was a little bit closer than the first one, though. And then we played SLU. Um, earlier on this semester, and we actually ended up taking that game 7-4. to four. So we've had a little bit of success against D2 teams. So um, it should be a fight, should be a battle, and it should be a good time. Yeah, they're obviously a newer program, obviously. I read a couple of things. Uh, the president and captain, Jacob Thompson, uh, apparently he had a sort of a conversation with the Baylor team, who is also sort of a brand-new uh, program, second year in the whole entire uh, hockey sort of association. But I think it's kind of interesting that they're a brand new program, Oklahoma State. I wouldn't really think of hockey in Oklahoma State, more north, I would think. But uh, talk to me about how you guys plan to approach this game. Uh, yeah, so this week in practice, we've been working more so on our, our special teams play. We saw against KU, our, um, our KU against last weekend, our power play wasn't quite as effective as we would have liked it to be. But uh, at the same time, we're just trying to make sure we've been playing the same style of hockey that we have this semester. Um, We've had a lot of success. Like you said, we're 4-0, so it's just making sure we're getting our legs going, trying to fly down the ice and make clean, crisp passes, and we'll put the puck in the net. So, Since you guys entered the semester, obviously we just mentioned it again, 4-0 in the second semester. Um, how did you guys sort of like go from that sort of in sort of like a really tough series against Arkansas? They're a really good team. How did you guys sort of like switch the gear and be like, we're ready to go again for second semester? Yeah, so... Um, what ended up happening was we, you know, a couple new players we got coming in, Nick Spolik and Frankie Landers. They're both two terrific skaters, great hockey players. They've helped out our club tremendously. And like you said, we did struggle a little bit against Arkansas, and we just found out they were the fourth-ranked team in the yep. country at our at our level. So they'll be headed in the national tournament pretty soon. So that's good for them. But uh, hopefully we can get more of a rivalry going, taking a few games from them next year. But Overall, this semester, we started our, our first weekend of games was against uh, Northern Illinois University, and we, we kind of trounced them. They, I think they're kind, kind of, of a, <laughs> a level below us. They uh, put up, I think we won 15-2 to two our yeah. second game, so yeah. it was that was a really good way to make sure like we all just got our feet back under us and we were ready to take on the rest of the schedule, so... So going to the Kansas series, obviously big rivalry. There's a whole nother story about the tickets. That's a story for a different day. Um, but obviously Jack Estes definitely had a great game. Uh, Nick Spolick, like you mentioned, also had a really good game. But 
talk to me like getting on the ice against a big rivalry a big rival excuse me how did you guys like how did you guys feel after that game so that game probably the most fun I've ever had playing hockey in my entire life that border war against KU usually it's at um, Cable Dahmer Arena in Independence Missouri and it's kind of like home for each of us but Mm -hmm. um, there was an issue with the sponsors for that game so we ended up doing a home and home series and it was just we we sold out our rink in Jeff City which is not something I've ever been a part of so you step on that ice you've got hundreds of students in there all chanting you know, a couple of vicinities I can't say on air, but it was just one of the most electric atmospheres I've ever been a part of, and I was it really felt special. Going into tonight against Oklahoma State, uh, they actually have a very good goalie tandem, as what I've seen, Ryan King and Chris Dart, who is their goalie tandem, and they have not so shabby of a defense. So how do you guys plan to attack their, it's, it looks like pretty stout defense to me. Yeah, so hopefully we're just going to try to wear them down, keep our offense, keep them cycling low, uh, make sure they we can limit uh, possession in our zone and keep it down there as much as we can try to use the points as well we've got you know some great defensemen who can rip it on net and you know just making sure we're crashing the net getting the rebounds getting some getting some gross ones getting a little dirty ones and then maybe if we uh, have the opportunity to get a couple pretty ones we will as well all right and last question um do you guys think you'll win the series you guys think you'll get one what do you think i mean we're we're hot. We're four zero. I I say we take both games, but um, yeah, it should be a challenge. It'll be a lot of fun either way. Well, someone's winning streak will come to an end tonight as they're entering in a six game winning streak. So we'll find out sooner rather than later. All right, uh, Ben, let's go to your basketball segment here. A lot going on here in the NBA. Obviously, you know I'm not really an NBA person, but that's nor here or there. Um, obviously. Lately, since we've been out of the All-Star break, CP3 of the Phoenix Suns, he's gotten a hand injury. Phoenix is obviously still really hot in the Western Conference. So talk to me how CP3's hand injury sort of affects the Suns as a whole. There we go. Okay. Got it? Yeah, I got it. There we go. (laughs) Um, It's an interesting situation just because – it, it it so right before the break. So the All Star break, All Star weekend was last weekend. They actually just came back from the break last night. Okay. So just before the break, it was rumored that he was going to be getting an MRI on that hand, and now it's really all of it. There was I don't at least as much as I read, I don't think there was a gigantic concern. And then on Sunday afternoon, before the game Sunday night, it comes out that he's going to have this hand injury. Um, I believe TNT actually was like basically broke it on air. I don't know specifically. But then regardless of this hand injury, he still actually played a couple minutes in the game. He told people, even though he had the thumb injury, he still wanted to play. He was out there for a couple minutes. Um, I believe he he had an assist. I don't know if he actually scored. I know he at least attempted a shot. But regardless, he played. So that first of all, I wanted to talk about that because that was pretty cool because you don't often see like this major injury thing come out at an all-star game and then he still play. But a hand injury, um, especially because he was basically just using the other hand the whole time he was out there. It was an interesting situation. But for the Suns, I still think that they keep the one seed. And that's really, I mean, worst case scenario, they fall to the two seed in my eyes. And then it potentially means that they would have to play an extra game in Golden State for the Western Conference Finals. But regardless, I still think that... um, that the Suns will keep the number one seed even despite this injury. So six to eight week injury. I have to assume they'll play it on the safe side so we can be back for the long postseason run that they intend to go on. Obviously the Suns at 49 and 10, they are, have been, at least in my eyes, the best team in the league so far this season. They have a seven game lead over Golden State. So just to put that into perspective, I kind of went through the schedule for the Suns the rest of the season. I think at worst the Suns go 14-9, and nine, and that's with me giving some toss-up games to the other team just because I'm thinking, okay, you don't have Chris Paul out there to help Devin Booker close out the game. So I gave that the other way, and so I think at worst they go 14-9. and nine. They could easily go much better. Golden State would then have to go 21-2 and two just to catch them, which Golden State's a really good team, and they're getting healthier, healthier at the right time. But that would be a really a tough stretch for Golden State. So I don't think they lose number one seed. And there's some big reasons also why I think they could just keep winning games. They won their first game back last night against Oklahoma City. And I think Devin Booker will kind of step into more of scorer and passer role. Throughout the first half of the season, uh, Chris Paul was the, the, the guy that was dishing out the passes. He was averaging over 10.7 assists per game. And then Booker was doing all the scoring. Well, now I think Booker will do a little bit of both. Last night in that game against Oklahoma City, Booker had 12. 12 assists, and he hadn't gone over double digits and assists once the entire first half of the season. So that doesn't kind of tell you how their offensive mindset is going to shift. I don't know what does. And I still think, too, 
campaign can be a serviceable fill-in for Chris Paul during this break. He's day-to-day right now, but he should be back very soon. And we saw last year when Chris Paul was doing with the COVID thing during that NBA Finals run and had to miss a couple of games, Cameron Payton played some of the best basketball of his career, and what that's what led to him being re-signed to the Suns contract for reasons like this, because Chris Paul has had some health issues in the past and hasn't finished full seasons. So they wanted a reliable backup point guard for this situations. So I think this is a roster that's still good enough. You throw Cameron Payne in there at point guard um, to just kind of keep things steady. You still have Booker. You still have Aiden. Um, there's there's plenty of guys on that team. This is a really young team. And just with the lead that they've built up, seven games, like I said, a lot of things would have to go wrong for, for, them, to, for them to fall. So in terms of how it affects the Western Commons, I honestly think – um, it's going to keep the standings the same. It may give Golden State a little bit more kind of a goal to say, hey, we can maybe catch these guys and then have the chance to host the Game 7 in our own building. But I think I think Phoenix hangs on to it. But regardless, I think they they play it safe with the Chris Paul injury. If it's 6-8, to eight, it would not surprise me um, with the playoffs starting in mid to late April if they hold him out for the full eight. Um, maybe bring him back with a, two or three games left in the season to kind of get in the lineup and return back to that chemistry. But um, I think they play it safe and want him healthy and ready to go. For This could actually end up being a blessing in disguise, getting Chris Paul back for the playoffs with fresh legs. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like you talk about all the time what people said with the bubble did for LeBron, having that break off and then getting to play the playoffs. This could be the same type of situation. Imagine Chris Paul um, on, on the latter side of his career getting basically an eight-week break and then coming into the NBA playoffs on a team that is has championship aspirations. This, this could end up being something um, that it works out very well for the Suns in the long run as long as they keep that number one seed. Going to the Eastern Conference here, uh, the Chicago Bulls are in first place. Do you have someone to give props to? Oh, of course we have to. I mean, it's it's DeMar DeRozan. He's been absolutely fantastic. Coined by Bleach Report and many other as the worst move of the offseason. Us Bulls fans like to bring that up all the time. But um, he has been far from that. I'll give you a couple of his stats. DeMar DeRozan on the season. 28.1 points per game. That is fourth in the entire NBA. 5.1 assists and 5.2 rebounds. And I just had to throw out there how lethal he has been from any mid-range shot. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But he is the reason the Chicago Bulls are 39-21 and 21 and currently have a half-game lead over the Miami Heat first to the Eastern Conference. Another thing that is an insane run that DeMar DeRozan is on right now. So, all-time, let me give you these stats. To have consecutive games with 35-plus points on 50% shooting. So not only is he scoring, but he's doing it at a very efficient rate. DeRozan has done that eight straight games in a row. The only other guy to come remotely close to that is Wilt did it twice, and he only got to six games straight of doing that. He did that in 1961 1963. So DeRozan is in elite category with the scoring and the uber-efficient shooting percentage. To do that and be shooting 50% plus, and really if you look at those eight straight uh, those eight games, one game he shot exactly 50%. The other ones he's up near 60-plus. There's been many of those eight where it's been 58, 59, a couple in the six. So he is really efficient. And out of those eight scoring performances, 45, 38, 36, 35, 38, 40, 38, 37. That's it, it's an insane run. I mean, there's been many of these games. Out of those eight, the Bulls are 6-2. and two. He is the reason they're on such a hot streak right now, especially last night. Bulls first game out of the break. They play the Hawks. They're down one late. Everyone knows DeRozan's going to take the shot with 10 seconds left, and you know it's going to be mid-range, and he still hits it and one and goes to the line and makes the free throw as well. So... It's just, it's really cool to see. And also, I don't know if you saw this, there were many star players who either didn't have a game last night or were out hurt who were all watching DeMar DeRozan because they know that they're witnessing some a very special run right now. I know LeBron talked about it, Draymond Green, all giving props to this guy that is playing at an MVP level. And I think at the very least, this guy has to be in, in the consideration for it. He may not win it because Embiid's having a great season. Jokic, you can make an argument for Curry. But if the Bulls come into the season are still in first in Eastern Conference, I would think you really got to give it a nod. DeRozan, in 47 out of his 55 games, has had 20-plus points. So he has been an elite scorer. I mean, to score 20-plus in that many games, not to mention what he's done outside of the scoring, he has taken so much pressure off of Zach Levine. We saw Levine be the number one guy in Chicago for the last couple of seasons, and not that he couldn't be that guy, it just wasn't necessarily the recipe to win as many games they're winning now. Have Levine as a really good number two complement to DeRozan, I think has been fantastic. And you can look at what DeRozan has done for the younger guys. I think we could all agree that the advancements that Kobe White and Ayo DeSumo have made this season would not be anywhere near the 
this big without the, I guess, tutelage of DeMar DeRozan, especially we saw the relationship that DeSumo and DeRozan have built. So there's just been so many uh, big things that he has done for this basketball team, advancing an organization. And uh, you look at the last five years after the kind of DeRozan and Jimmy Butler era ended, the really bad play of basketball for the Chicago Bulls was kind of embarrassing on a national level because this is a big market team. Like, they're supposed to pull free agents. They're supposed to be competitive. They had this stretch of doing it for a long period of time and then to be as bad as they were to now kind of finally digging themselves out of it and put back on a national stage. It's really fun to watch, and it's good for Chicago. I will say this. I just want ESPN to keep the same energy oh, they yeah. have. Also, keep talking about Ben Simmons. Keep talking about James Harden. Talk about how James Harden is basically needing a ring and blah, 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 blah. But you already know my view about the NBA, so that's a, that's a discussion probably for next week. But that's, <laughs> I mean, seriously. We're going to head to break. When we get back from break, some NHL coverage. We'll be right back with you. I'm KCOU 88.1 FM. That interview was really good. How was that? Was... Just some fun yeah, thank games. you. Took my name in vain. Nothing is the same. Just another day now. From the playgrounds. Bend the rules now. Know the rules now. Play the rules now. It's institutional. Resolutions, lack of direction, intersections, pick up a gun, you know you're gonna use it. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. My part-time service in the Army National Guard makes it possible for me to be more for the community I call home. My training helps me at work when I lead by example. My service in the Army National Guard allows me to keep my community and those I care about safe from threats. Learn more about how you too can live and serve part-time close to home by visiting NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association and this station. Welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia. So with the NHL trade deadline about one month away, teams that will be sellers and buyers have become more apparent since the second half of the season has kicked off. With the Colorado Avalanche sitting atop the Western Conference by 12 points, they look to add depth come next month to make a run for the Stanley Cup. However, other playoff teams won't make that task easy. So Luca and Sean, I'll turn this one over to you guys. Who's the biggest threat to the Colorado Avalanche in the Western Conference as we approach the playoffs? Right now, it is the Calgary Flames. Um, This team is phenomenal. Obviously, they've had COVID problems all year. But, yes, they were were on a 10-game winning streak before they lost one. But this team is legit. They're legit contenders for the Stanley Cup this season. Daryl Sutter, this man, has done a great job coaching this team. I mean, we know he did a great job in Los Angeles, but he's basically translated his success all the way to Calgary. He has done phenomenal. And I got to admit, sitting atop the Pacific Division, I knew Calgary had a bad season last year in the pandemic-shortened season, but I didn't expect them to be this good. I had them my fourth seed in the Pacific Division. I expected Edmonton and Vegas to be above them. But this team is something special. Obviously, you got Elias Lindholm, you got Johnny Gaudreau, and you got Brady Kachuk, or excuse me, Matthew Kachuk on that first line. Just complete firepower. And with Elias Lindholm, just what he's able to do at the faceoff, that how many faceoffs he's able to win, his ability to pass the puck to Johnny Gaudreau on the left side of the circle. I mean, this man is phenomenal. But I think the most uh, contributor on this team is the defensive side, but not really because the backbone of the Flames right now is Jacob Markstrom. This man is a Vesna Trophy candidate in my book. He owns about one-tenth of the shutouts recorded in the league with eight, which is insane to me. 
I just think he is phenomenal. His size and then that, how he presents himself. He reminds me of sort of like Ben Bishop when he was in the league, how big he was and the goal, how he's able to take so much space away. And then you added Tyler Toffoli and Blake Coleman to this team not too long ago. And Tyler Toffoli has already had success on this team already. So you just look at the you look at the fact how loaded they are offensively. And then you look at how, de- how they're a little weak defensively. But, yeah, it's not exactly great. I mean, you obviously got Oliver uh, Kylington on this team. You got, Rasmus, you got Rasmus Anderson. I mean, they're both having really good years. But they're not exactly threats. They're not elite blue liners in my book. Neither is Nikita Zadorov. He isn't either. But when you look at what they can do at the trade deadline, in my opinion, they should get back their old captain, Mark Giordano from Seattle, because Seattle is going to be sellers at the trade deadline, in my opinion. I understand that he's a captain on Seattle right now. But listen, to get your captain back, Mark Giordano, and what and what the leadership characteristics he brings to the table, and how he's able, and how he's an elite blue liner in my book. I think he would be great for this team. Obviously, you got John Klingberg. I think he's really good on Dallas, but health has always been a concern in my book for him. And I would even say Nick Letty. I think he would actually make a really good addition to this team. But Colorado better watch out. I understand they're in the stakes right now for Claude Giroux. I get that. But at the same time, they have more pressure, in my opinion, than anybody else in the Western Conference. This team is loaded. When you got when you got dudes like Miko Ranton, when you got dudes like Gabriel Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon, who's had a really bad season. Obviously, you got Kadri. You got other dudes like Cal McCarr at the blue line, who is just phenomenal. Barakovsky. The list goes on and on. This team is loaded. They have so much talent. Darcy Kemper's had a great season. But when you have this many points in the Central Division, when you're leading as much as you are, you got pressure. You got expectations to ex- you got expectations to meet. If the Colorado Avalanche does not get to the Western Conference Finals, it's a disappointment in my book for their season. I completely agree. But when you're talking about threats in the Western Conference, mm. I think it's you got to mention Vegas. Vegas okay, sitting yeah. where they are. You know, they're four points behind Calgary, second mm-hmm. in the Pacific. They they go out. They make the move for Eichel mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. You know, yep. he's come back. He's come back from, you know, pretty tough injury. So right. it hasn't looked fantastic. But they're easing him, easing him back into it. But overall, this team's just been battered, like, all year. They've been dealing with injuries to Pacioretty, Mark Stone, and Eichel, which is their top line. Like, each one of those guys has missed substantial amounts of time for their season, and they're still in second place in their division. You know, if they stack up, if they can get healthy right around the turn for the playoffs, they can make a very deep run and contending with teams like Colorado. Colorado, like you said, they're just a powerhouse. They've just top to bottom just are such a fantastic team. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned McKinnon's having a bad year. Into he's one of, the, one of the best players in the NHL, and he's having a bad year. You know, he's been dealing with injuries as well, and I I, I think he's on IR right now. I'm yep. not sure. But either way, the fact that this team is leading the NHL in points is just they're just the perfect team, perfectly assembled. Yeah, yeah, the whole Vegas thing. Obviously, we haven't seen all three of them play yet, so that's why I have a little doubt in how they're supposed. They're gonna make. Uh, they're gonna have chemistry in the same line. That's my first concern for them. But I'm shocked you to mention Chandler Stevenson. This man is phenomenal. Their first center. I mean, this dude came from Washington. He was a third liner with uh, Nick Dowd and Devontae Smith-Pelly. They traded him for a fifth-round pick, and look at him and what he's done in Vegas. This man's phenomenal. I mean, the thing is with Vegas, another concern I have is with Robin Leonard. There are games where he looks like he could be a Vesna candidate. In the next game, he looks like he's complete trash. So I get it, but at the same time, at the trade deadline, they got to make a move for a goaltender, in my opinion. I, can't, I don't trust Robin Leonard completely in the postseason. And obviously, we've seen the rumors with Marc-Andre Fleury. I don't understand that as to why you would reunite with him. But Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like that's just a bad relationship right now. Bringing him back to the organization wouldn't be great, but I do agree. Leonard Leonard's too shaky. Yeah, uh, but I mean, if if they can get healthy, if they can get hot at the right time, you know, I think they could be up there with. I mean, they beat Vegas, beat Colorado last time. Yep, so, they did. You know, who who knows what's going to happen when when uh, April comes around? 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, but we mentioned this the last time, the Oilers, man. I mean, look, they, I mean, they must have heard me in Canada because they've been playing so much better. So, I mean, props to them for playing much better. But You single-handedly sparked that on Around the Ways. I think you should take credit for that. <laughs> I, I, I am. I'm going to take credit for it. They've been much better. But, Sean, obviously, you're probably a fan of one of the most pathetic hockey teams in the NHL, and that would be the Buffalo Sabres. Unfortunately, yes. We're rebuilding. We're rebuilding. We're rebuilding. <laughs> As rebuilding. we have, have been for the past 10 years. But... 11 years missing the playoffs. 12 this year, probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I understand when you're in the same division as Tampa and Florida and Boston. It could be difficult at times, but, you know, every single season when I see the Buffalo Sabres, I'm like, they're going to be at the top of the division until about maybe early-ish November, and then they're going to plummet like a cheap bag of rocks. So what I'll ask you this is what even is the future of this team? Um. I mean, you look at guys like uh, Tage Thompson. Mm-hmm. He we we acquired him in the Ryan O'Reilly deal, which right. was a couple years ago. And Tage Thompson actually has more goals and more points this year than Ryan O'Reilly. Obviously, you can't say that the Sabers won that trade because right. you know Ryan O'Reilly won the Conn Smythe in his first years right. with the Blues. So, um, but you know, you look at the young guys like Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs, who we acquired in the Eichel trade from Vegas, and we've got a couple good guys in our our minor league affiliate. But overall, it's just kind of been a tough year. I mean, the Sabers injury bug as well. They've started six goaltenders this year. You got to be out of your mind. It's I mean, every single year it's the injury bug. I mean, this team stinks. No, the team's bad. I'm not trying to dog around the point. I I unfortunately tune into every single Sabres game and watching watching some of them is just really loyal. A detriment to my mental health. Well, at least you're above the Montreal Canadiens who <sighs> are just absolute trash. I mean, I feel terrible. I mean, they're at a four-game winning streak. I mean, I mean, if you have to if Martin St. Louis wants to celebrate something, this is something to celebrate right now. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, you look at that team, and obviously you're dealing with injuries to guys like Shea Weber and Carey Price, who are probably the, were the two best players on their team. Right. But overall, like no one expected them to be this bad. Like you're talking about, like other than this, probably this four game winning streak that they're on, like one of the worst teams in the salary cap era. Like it's it's been absolutely brutal for them all year, and you know they just got rid of Toffoli. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you still got guys there like Nick Suzuki and Josh Anderson, who are both very good hockey players. And you you watch that team, you're just like, ugh. <laughs> I mean, I'm really concerned for Cole Caulfield. I'm really concerned because this dude shined in the playoffs last year, and he's been awful this year. He's been awful. I mean, he's been he's been demoted, uh, demoted I think, like twice or three times to the yeah. NHL. It's been a disaster. You never would have expected a guy like him would be going back down to the minors, but um, hopefully with St. Louis, he he looks a little bit better throughout this four-game streak, like he's contributed as well. Yeah. So hopefully he can you know, stay on that roster, and I, I think he'll be a great player. So as the Sabres fan you are, uh, when the draft comes up, obviously last time around you got Owen Power, correct? Yes. Okay. So what, what do you think you need to draft this year? Uh, just, I mean, I, I think a depth forward would be nice. You know, I – you know, watching the Sabres roster, the top two lines, they look good. They look competent. They're they're not great, but you know, they're you can tell they're young and they're gonna grow and they're gonna get better and the yeah. point production will come along with it. You watch the third and fourth lines operate and you're like, How are these guys in the NHL? It's like this, like what what are you doing? Like it, it seems a little judgmental coming from someone who plays club hockey, but at the same time, it's like you've worked your entire life to get here and there's just like it seems like there's no spark, there's no life with these guys. And uh Obviously, it's it's a failed season for the Sabers. So you know, as low as they can get, as high of a pick, is better. But you just like to see a little bit, a little bit more fun out on the ice. So hopefully, someone in the draft could do that for us. Well, I know what you guys feel like now because my team, who was good for a decade, the Chicago Blackhawks, it's been really tough to watch both on and out and off the ice. So on the ice, I mean, it's just really tough to watch Mark Andre Fleury, the Hall of Famer he is. Basically, just get basically have target practice, have to face every single game. It doesn't matter if it's Arizona, doesn't matter if it's Seattle, doesn't matter if it's Colorado. This team stinks. Okay, I don't understand going into the season how this team could not be better than I would say Dallas because I thought Dallas they I thought they were a little bit better than Dallas in my opinion, but I didn't expect them to be better than Colorado, Minnesota, or Nashville. That I did not. But the expectations I had clearly were too high because this team stinks. Let me let me ask you as a Blackhawks fan. Okay. 
Do you trade Patrick Kane? Yes, you do. Really? Yes, okay. you do. Yes, okay. you do. The reason I say that is because it is to a point where there is no future in sight right now. There is none. And this is a point in time where Patrick Kane has always been a career winner. He won three Stanley Cups in Chicago. He did his part. So did Jonathan Taze. But there's a point in time where you have to move on from a franchise icon because they deserve better. Patrick Kane still has value, in my opinion. And you trade him to a team like the New York Rangers, who are in, who are trying to make a run to the Stanley Cup. And personally, you should already be making the next core on the Chicago Blackhawks. Dudes like Alex Debrinkit, even though I don't like Seth Jones, but Seth Jones, <laughs> you got Brandon Hagel, you got Mackenzie Whistle, Like dudes like that. That is the next core of this team. Having people like Patrick Kane stick around, it's not worth it because they're getting older and their value is going to diminish. I would rather gain something than get nothing. Okay. I just had to know because, you know, it's it's guy who's it is, been there for so long, exactly. part of the success. But. but, yeah, there's times and you got to move on from certain people, and it's now, personally. All right, last topic for the day, NFL coverage. With Ben Roethlisberger's retirement, the Pittsburgh Steelers' quarterback job is up for grabs next season. On Monday, Steelers GM Kevin Colbert gave Mason Rudolph a vote of confidence. And on ESPN, it's, quote, if we started a season today, Mason would be our starter, and we are excited to see where that can go. Colbert said in his annual availability of local media prior to the NFL combine, Mason's 5-4-1 uh, as an NFL starter, albeit in a backup kind of role, but we are excited to see what is next for Mason. Uh, ben, do you think the Steelers should look to sort of make a quarterback upgrade, or do you think they'll write it with Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins? I think they should look to make an upgrade, but I don't think they'll make as big of a splash as some people seem to think. I think the teams that will make a big splash is more of like the Denver, uh, maybe even Indy or Carolina, but I don't think the Steelers do. Regardless, I think they should make to look an upgrade from at least Mason Rudolph. I think what Kevin Colbert said was a smart statement because I don't think you want to piss off who is currently your starting quarterback. Um, but I think in the back of his mind, he has to know. I mean, Mason Rudolph, in, albeit is a backup role and only has 10 starts, is he's not a very good quarterback. I mean, barely over 60% completion, 16 touchdowns or 11 picks. I mean, that's that's okay. It's not very good. And it's I just don't see how he can elevate a team that has a really good defense and then weapons all over on offense. I, I don't expect them to go big and get like a long-term guy, but I think there's a couple different options they should definitely look into. I know the quarterback class in this year isn't great, but I think you could get one that falls to you or move back and get one and then go into it with Rudolph starting and let the kid, whoever you take, sit here. Or you go and sign like a bridge QB. I mean, obviously there's going to be guys like Teddy Bridgewater and, and potentially Jameis Winston out there or a Jimmy Garoppolo if you wanted to trade for one and have him be your starter for the next year, a couple years. I think that would be a smarter decision in my eyes, compounded with spending a draft pick on a quarterback than riding it with Mason Rudolph because I think Mason Rudolph at best gets them as good as they were this year and basically what happened this year was they needed everything to go right just to get into the playoffs and then get absolutely smacked by the Chiefs I mean everyone knew that that team wasn't wasn't going anywhere in the playoffs there were even some who said that this is great for the Chiefs because they get a basically a warm-up game before the real game start so I think with Mason Rudolph there they would have a very very clear ceiling um, I do think that they're in a tough spot because there's no like one answer, at least with some of these other teams who are who are looking to make big splash. I think there's kind of a fallback plan in place. With the Steelers, your fallback plan, I think, isn't very good. So um, it, and if I'm picking right now, I think that they either go Mason Rudolph and draft a quarterback or go bridge QB. Um, it will, like I said, the, the Teddy Bridgewaters or the Jameis Winstons. I, I don't see them making a big splash. I really do think – I think I think Jameis – if Mike Tomlin continued to coach him up a little bit like Sean Payton was starting to do because Jameis significantly improved the turnover numbers this year until he got hurt. I he think, couldn't get worse. No, I mean, but it was it was still much better. Like, if you look, it was, it was much, much better. Um, I think that could really help this offense. And even with, I, I think, if you were to go and get, like, a Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger already wasn't pushing the ball down the field. But at least with Teddy, you get a lot more added mobility. You get some athleticness to add to that offense. And I, I could see them competing for a playoff spot with a Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. I'm not the, I don't think Teddy's a, a great quarterback anymore. I'm not as high as him as I was going into the whole Denver thing last year, mm -hmm. my, my claim there. But mm -hmm. he's, he's an upgrade at this point over Mason Rudolph, and I don't think that's debatable whatsoever.
Well, obviously, because you thought he was going to be really good in the upcoming season. I told you yeah. he was not, and clearly you were wrong. But that's, that's. I mean, obviously you were wrong. Just It was that simple. I said the Chargers were going to make they it. They were in a playoff didn't. spot until he got hurt. I don't care. They didn't make it. You said he they got hurt. It. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter. They didn't make the playoffs. That's what you said. But if I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan going into this season, I just heard what Kevin Colbert just said. I am really nervous. I am in the same division as Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, and then... Mason Rudolph's even worse than Baker Mayfield. I'm ready to say that. It's true. I mean, that was never a debate. I mean, Baker Mayfield stinks. I mean, there's no there's no debating that, in my opinion. But going into this season, you cannot possibly go into this season with Mason Rudolph. All this guy is really known for, no disrespect to him, is when Miles Garrett sla- basically swatted him with his helmet. That's all this dude's known for. And it's a shame, but it's true. And then you got Dwayne Haskins, who's a basically a third stringer on this team who used to be good and now is not. I w- if I was Dwayne Haskins, I would try to get a new career going because it's not going to work any longer. So personally, me, if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, I don't, know, I don't care what Kevin Colbert says because he's stepping down after the draft, so it doesn't matter what he says. But if I'm going to go with somebody, give Mitch Trubisky another chance. I don't understand why he wouldn't get another chance or someone like Marcus Mariota, someone like that. I mean, you should get a bridge quarterback. They are already better than Mason Rudolph. Mitch Trubisky, if I had to compare him to Mason Rudolph, I think Mitch is better. I think he has a better arm. Yes, he's, yes his decision-making is, is questionable, but so is Mason Rudolph's. Obviously, you got some couple, You got a couple of weapons on offense and Deontay Johnson. You got Chase Claypool. Obviously, you got dudes like that. And you got a running game in Najee Harris. The O-line's still suspect, but I expect them to fix that o- over the offseason. But I think you should get a quarterback like Mitch Trubisky or um, Marcus Mariota. Uh, honestly, I I think the Steelers, like even if they were to roll with Mason Rudolph, which I, I don't think would be the best decision for them, but I still think they could go pretty far. I mean, I think the case with the Steelers, as much as the issue has been at quarterback, it's like, are they beating themselves? Because you look at that defense, that defense is rock solid. TJ Watt, you know, tying the sack record this year. And it's like, is Deontay Johnson going to have six drops this game? Because if not, <laughs> like, they move the ball pretty proficiently. Like, yeah, they got Juju, Deontay Johnson, and Chase Claypool. Like, that's a pretty good wide receiver room. The addition of Najee Harris last year, if they can fix the O line, like, you don't need to be. You don't need to have that quarterback who's gonna make the home run plays. The guy to you know be on the, be on Sports Center on Sunday night. What you need is a guy who could just competently move the ball down the field. Is Mason Rudolph that guy? I don't know, but I think with what the Steelers could give him, I think it could work out. There's potential there. I just think I think there needs a little bit more athleticness than what Mason Rudolph has to combat the the disadvantage they have on offensive line. I know Ben is about as mobile as a snail, or at least he was this season, but there were plenty of times where other teams would just send the house or even with rushing four and five and the Steelers line couldn't hold up. And I think Mason Rudolph, who is also not very mobile, would struggle a little bit more behind that offensive line. So I think if you added someone with mobility, um, like I said, one of those bridge quarterbacks, I think that could be the answer. But... Um, well, I, I, if they run it with Mason Rudolph, I see them. I, I would have to look at their schedule, but they could still very well end up around eight or nine wins. It just, it, it would Mike be Tomlin. ugly. It is Mike Tomlin. Yeah, Mike Tomlin is a very, very good coach and never has had a losing season. So, yeah. All right, we'll leave it at that. Everyone, thanks for tuning in to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM, and we will see you next week.